All right, so let's go ahead and get started. Thank you, everybody, for coming for Table for Two, Intro to Two-Player Role-Playing Games. Uh, I am I am your moderator, Jeff Stormer. I am the a podcaster, game designer, and as previously mentioned, the unofficial official LARP designer of the Olive Garden Restaurant. Specifically for the purposes of this panel, I host Party of One. Party of One is an actual play podcast focused on two-player role-playing experiences. Every week I sit down with a friend, we play a two-player game, we share some laughs, maybe a few tears, we have a really good time. You can find that at partyofonepodcast.com, and my pronouns are he, his. Uh, I've got some wonderful podcasters, game designers, and all-around great folks here to talk about how D&D and role-playing games change when played with only two people. So let's go down the table and introduce ourselves. Let's give names, pro- names pronouns, and any projects or things you want to plug, both relevant to the world of two-playing games and otherwise. Let's go ahead and start with Russell Collins. Hi, I'm Russell Collins. Uh, he, him. I am an uh, independent game designer. Uh, I self-published my game, Tears of a Machine, in uh, 2014. Uh, I started working on another similarly related IP and was having a really hard time making the mechanics work. And then a friend of mine uh, told me that she had played um, Tears of a Machine on Jeff's podcast. I was like, really? You, you took my game and you stripped it down to two people? How did that work? And it turns out it works really well. So um, that became the solution. So now the next, you know, design that I'm working on is going to be on that, you know, that that duet, um, that duet approach. And it's a wonderful game. We've played a campaign of it. It's Project Wingspan. It is exceptionally good, and I am obsessed with it. And I still want to play more of it. So you now you have to make it. Now it is. And, and now I'm, it is on. And now I also have to cut you in. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Now I get a piece of it. See, that's that's how the panel works. I bring you on, and then and then you owe me. I That's do want the trick, him to write, I do want him to write a stretch goal, so he actually might be getting a slice of this. Just you know. anyway, go on. I'm gonna buy you an unlimited pasta pass. Yes. <laughs> See that? Merry, well, that Merry Christmas. This is the best. This is officially the best panel that I've ever <laughs> attended, been on anything. Go ahead. Uh, hi, I'm Zachary Woodard. I am the husband and GM of Heart Points. Uh, we're a husband and wife one-to-one RPG podcast uh, that I do with my wife. Uh, we do a long-form uh, Dungeon World campaign, one-to-one, that we put out every week. And we also play a lot of different kind of random games, uh, usually for like holidays or specials. Uh, we try to find other games, and that's been going very well. I also wrote... A, a very tiny uh, one-person LARP. It's actually less than a two-player RPG. It's a one-person RPG that fits on a business card. And if you want a copy and you come and see me, it's a game about mindfulness. I like it. It makes me happy. Is this called Table for One? You get that you throw it on the ground now. I think I think if I can stay sub two, two or less, I think I, I am in a safe space. <laughs> Table of less than equal of yeah. two, two. <laughs> good. I love it. Um, heart, heart points is so good. I didn't know I had to learn math for this panel. That's fair. <laughs> I, that was that was that was on the contract that you signed. You all did sign the contract, right? No. <laughs> well, good night, everybody. Have a great one. Um, so my name is Diana Woodard, and I am the wife and player of Heart Points. I did not create a game. I just play them. So there you go. As mentioned, Heart Points is very, very good. It is a very good podcast that you should be listening to right now. Well, not right now, because you're in a panel, and that would be rude. Yeah. Is it my turn? Yes, feel free. Yes, go ahead. I'm Ben Wallace. I am from the Allport... Oh, uh, he, they. I'm from the Allports Open Podcast Network, uh, where I'm on a bunch of podcasts, including uh, Pod of Love, which is a two-player romance, uh, actual play, and advice, romance advice podcast that we do. And I'll let... 
the other person who hosts it with me introduce themselves in a second. Um, and uh, yeah, and during the day, I'm also, and I guess at night, I'm also an Episcopal priest. So um, I do that as well. Hi, guys. My name is Mel. Melissa Wallace. I go by Mel. Um, my pronouns are she, hers. Um, you can really call me whatever you want, as long as if there's food involved, you give me some. <laughs> I am the other half of our Pod of Love, Love podcast. It is a super fun, funny, fun time relationship podcast. We'd like to give more advice. So if at the end of this, you'd like to email us your questions, <laughs> I would totally like that. Side note, you might think that two-player role-playing game actual play podcasts are a really small niche, and yet there are three of them, soon to be four of them, all located in and around the city of Philadelphia. It's weird. It's ju- I don't have like a, like a broader point to that. I just think it's very weird. Philadelphians are an insular people. That's fair. We, 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 That's fair. We are. We don't, we don't reach out. Well, we can't handle more than one other person at the same time. Yeah, Yeah, okay, okay. okay. I I hadn't thought about that, but I think that's right. I think that's right. It's also demonstrative of one of the points that I'm probably going to be sniping off your, uh, you know, agenda there with the idea that more and more people are finding that the way that um, our lives go, we can't get together with the huge groups of people, but we can very easily get these these couple games going. You know, having Mm -hmm. these games that are like a little more easy for us to just, you know. Without the logistics just put together, that's that's become a, a growing thing. Yeah, and see that we had a bit, and then Russell comes in with an actual, really well thought out point, and this is this is why I've chosen Sorry. this group of people. Yeah, you should be, you should be. This is bit time. <laughs> no, that's a great point though, and that kind of gets into like what I want to talk about. Like the first sort of big point is, so a sort of big picture. I think what we kind of want to talk about today is. You know, as long as there have been role-playing games, as long as this has sort of been an art form, going back to sort of the earliest days of Dungeons & Dragons, it has been for, quote-unquote, four to six players. And, oh, sorry, go ahead. Uh, well, so, yes, that is that is true. Um, but I do think that people forget that uh, Dungeons & Dragons released one-on-one modules. Um, they have tournament modules for Dungeons and Dragons going back to like the early 80s that were for one to one players and they were essentially speed runs. So there's always. Well, That's fascinating. I did not know that. Yeah. Um, and I think it's very interesting because it, it does show that there has always been an interest in making one to one work. And I don't think it did until quite recently. <laughs> yeah. Cause I, I, there's specific, I kind of have a specific D&D tangent that I want to go on yeah. at some point, but like, I think big picture, you know, this idea of like that's sort of been ingrained into sort of the expectations of role playing games to the point where a lot of games say we need this many players and they sort of expect a certain social experience when I've noticed that in playing a lot of games designed for larger groups with one other person, the experience that the sort of the game designer is going for is sort of more perfectly crafted to a single like person narrative, whether that be sort of a GM-less storytelling experience or a sort of more traditional GM-PC relationship, there are a lot of games that, like, there are a lot of games and a lot of stories and a lot of dynamics that, because role-playing games have been written as four to six players and that was sort of the expectation, it wasn't until recently that we started to see a boom of games designed for two people that people were telling stories of like, okay, this is the story I want to tell, how do I make it work for six people when you, they could have also just gone, this is a story for two people. And I think that's a thing that I want to talk more about in sort of a big picture sense. 
can jump in on that as well. Actually, this is one of the points that I had made is that so much of our media and in some cases entire genres is really focused on single protagonist, on single person stories. You know, role playing actually has an interesting background because if we look at Tolkien, that's an ensemble work. That's an ensemble mm -hmm. piece. So Dungeons and Dragons kind of grew out of, hey, we have an ensemble. We have this person yeah. does this for the group. But if you look at like St. Noir, mm -hmm. you know, it's it's all based on there's one, yep. you know, tough, hard-bitten detective who's, who's, you know, everything happens to him. Everything happens through him. I'm using him just as the, you know, the, the, the stereotypical default there. But uh, then like when I saw games like Gumshoe come out, it's a police procedural. It's about an ensemble again. And um, what they've most recently done, what Robin Laws has most recently done, is created Gumshoe One to One, a two-player version of Gumshoe, which to me kind of brings it home. That's that's you know the noir movie experience. You know the, the one guy and the and and one guy and the world at odds with each other. You mm -hmm. know, that, that's just the genre of that that uh, that that game, that world. Yeah, uh, that that's something that I was thinking about a lot coming up to this panel is uh, the way we think about stories and the way that we think about stories has influenced the way we think about role-playing games. Uh, when we come to role-playing games, and both from a design and from a playing perspective, a lot of times we're thinking about those ensemble stories. We're thinking about Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, um, any number of those big blockbuster hits, the things that I, I think stick with people because there's so many different types of characters that everyone can find someone that they identify with. But there are plenty of genres and, and stories and powerful stories that do feature just one-to-one -one person. I mean, uh, Conan is a singular person who is affecting the world. Oh, yeah. Nothing matters to anyone, but nothing matters in Conan's world to anyone but Conan. Yeah. Like, the story is very specifically structured that every other person is just a tool for Conan to get what Conan wants. Yeah, and, and it can be large-scale global change. It can be small-scale mm -hmm. on the street change, as in the case with a lot of Norse stories. Um, we need to, if we want more and better two-player RPGs, we need to think about the mm -hmm. kinds of stories that we mm -hmm. want to tell and the kind of stories that are interesting to us. Yeah, so that's kind of the big sort of picture topic is like, how do the games that we play and the stories we tell in this environment change when we're not looking at them from an ensemble standpoint, but from two people sitting down from like a storytelling point, but also from like a social experience perspective right like how is it different when you're sitting down at a table with one person from where how it is from how when you're sitting down at the table with like five or six people jeez <laughs> <laughs> well ben let's throw it over to you now yeah, since apparently you're, you're fired up mean to do that but, well uh, so actually I, I, was, I was just thinking that what did you have a oh no i was please i'll go finish your thought and then i'll throw over the segue all right no i do have a i have a thought about that which is that there really are two sort of two different ways to play rpgs can go into storytelling in the sense that, you know, you can have a GM and a player like you guys do with Hardpoints, and then you have one character who the story is driven around. And I sort of learned the power of being able to tell those kind of stories by listening to your podcast, listening to Hardpoints and the character that Diana plays, and getting to see like it's just so cinematic that way because you're following this one hero who you're a heroine you're excited about um, and getting into. But then also, of course, like what our and the reason why that was, I noticed that is because it's so different than our experience mm -hmm. because whenever we play two player RPGs we're both playing a character mm -hmm. so no one's a GM so really the, but those are really two different approaches to storytelling right like two main characters or a story about two people versus one and it's interesting to me that two player RPGs can really tell yeah. either of those yeah yeah so actually I want to throw it over to Diana because I have a question because that actually kind of segues into our next thing 
Um, from a player's perspective, you had mentioned like that you are the player on heart points. You talked about it. Like the first thing I kind of want to think about is like from a player's perspective, right? Like what do you, how do you, what do you feel like, how does it feel different, right? From a player's perspective, sitting at the table with one other person versus like as a, as a social experience versus sitting at a table with like a full group of people. Um, so one of the things, and I can't even remember if it makes it into the podcast, but we talk about it constantly. One of the things that I struggle with as the player is that when we're playing with a large group of people, I bounce a lot of my ideas off of those Mm -hmm. people and off of what they can do and what their skills are. Um, and so when it's me by myself, I have to decide everything on my own which leads my character to do some really stupid things Mm -hmm. because those are the first things that pop into my brain. Um, And so I, I really struggle with that. So it's, it's to do, to do a one-on-one role play where there's the one character and the Mm -hmm. GM, you have to have a really good relationship with your GM. You have to be able to trust them and because you have no one else to bounce ideas off of. Mm -hmm. So either you're bouncing off, you're bouncing off of your GM or you're doing it on your own. So you need the confidence or you mm-hmm. need the trust to be able to make that happen. Um, but it does lead to me doing some really stupid things that I wouldn't be allowed to do or mm-hmm. wouldn't be able to do in a bigger group. Yeah. I, I, I don't, I reject the idea of it being uh, stupid. I think they are interesting things that, mm-hmm. uh, that a character Aww. who doesn't have an ensemble is forced to do uh, compromises that have to be made um, mistakes that have to be made because you don't have another way out. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dinah plays a, a character that's uh, based off the bard class in, um, in dungeon world. So she's very squishy and has to deal with a lot of things that in other mm-hmm. games she would rely on other people to do. And that makes a very interesting story. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a great, I think that's a kind of a great point about, and that's kind of a great, like, advantage to a two-player gaming format especially with the traditional gmpc and also like a challenge is like as a character the spotlight is always on you you know the camera is always sort of tightly over your shoulder which is great because it means that like if you have a specific story that you want to tell like if you like like if you have a character that you want to explore what happens in their journey guess what like that's all you're going to be exploring because that's who that's where that's where that focus is always going to be at the opposite of that is that you always have to be on. And I think there's a real challenge of like, there's a challenge of just flat out burnout of like, I've been on for a long time, which is why a part of why I think two player games tend to run shorter than your average, like four to six hour gaming session. Yeah. yeah. I I can say a little bit about that because the first uh, experience I had with a one-to-one game personally was, uh, does anyone remember Wraith the Oblivion? Does anyone remember how like brutally depressing and grim and horrible that game was? <laughs> who who wants to sit down across from the table with someone and do that for hours and hours and because we thought it was cool and we did and oh my god we wrecked each other doing that <laughs> and we kept going back I don't know some kind of glutton for punishment thing but that's the thing it's so much more intense and you have to be prepared for that you know you have to know the people you're playing with you have to trust the people you're playing with you have to have the safety mechanisms in place, you know, that you have for good mm-hmm. uh, communicative uh, role play, uh, because it's going to be intense. You're going to mm-hmm. be on all the time. And, you know, and, and everything that, they, you know, that, that you do, you're going to live in it, you know, because there isn't that, that, mm-hmm. that, 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 you know, break that comes from, okay, I rolled my dice. Now I'll sit back and let everyone else in the party take their turn at this, you know, at this mm-hmm. work shaman, you know, and, and so on. Yeah. I, so 
I'm starting to hit that wall with the character that I've created because I had to make these decisions and because she turned into the goofball that she is, I'm starting to come to that point where I'm like, mm, I think it's time for her to die. How can mm-hmm. I kill her like spectacularly? Because I'm, I'm, I am ready for a new story. I'm mm-hmm. ready to move on because I've been so involved in this character. Are you trying to kill her? Uh, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm not. But, but you want, I mean, you can all? be. <laughs> you know, I've got, I've got my network. I've got my support system. I really appreciate you guys. Um, no, but you just, you spend so much more time with this character when yeah. you're one-on-one than you do when you're with a group. Mm-hmm. But it, you kind of start to get tired. Yeah. I think that in order to, like, I would encourage people who are thinking about running a two-player game, especially from the GM perspective, if, that, if that's the dynamic you're going to do, to really think a lot about and be very intentional about the way you co-world build and co-run, mm-hmm. which you guys do a ton of as a plug for you guys. Um, you really do. It's really, you have to do that because you need to share that space in a different way. You need to share both roles in some ways a different way and sort of work together to uh, craft the story, um, I think, in order to keep that, uh, that burnout from happening. Okay. Yes, or you ab- could just play different characters every time, like we do. That's right. We, yes, honestly, yeah. <laughs> that and and I think that's really important. Um, I, so when I introduced us, I said that we are a long form dungeon world campaign, and that is a that was a huge mistake. Don't don't do that if you want to do two player RPGs. Uh, two player RPGs, I I feel work best when they are short stories and not novels. Um, the, I would aim, if I were you, and you're interested in doing a two-player RPG, uh, aim for short stories, aim for short campaigns, uh, things that can, that have a clear beginning, middle, and end, especially if you're doing like a, a one GM, one player. Uh, thinking about it in terms of, I know where I want this character to go, I know what I want the theme to be, and it's going to conclude after one major goal, because otherwise it, it does, it is exhausting. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I'll just say, kind of based on our conversations, you hadn't GM'd a one-on-one, or you hadn't modified a game that wasn't made to be played one-on-one to play one-on-one before. So there were a lot of mistakes that were made mm-hmm. for our long-form game. If you start smaller with a small goal, with not a small goal, but with a goal in mind, and you try to make it a short story, you can learn from it and make your next game longer, better, stronger, however you want to Learn it. from our mistakes. Yeah. You're still young. <laughs> yes. So we, on our show, we like you, like you said, Mel, we, our stories are always short. So we just play games that are built that way. And Jeff, you know, same thing with your show. is like whenever you play, it's basically one episode, maybe two. So it's one experience. Mm-hmm. And you even say two-player experiences, mm-hmm. right? Um, so like we play games like Fog of Love. Would you all see that out in the Expo Hall? Did you all see Fog of Love's booth? It looks there? very cool. Yeah, you should check it out if you haven't. Uh, and uh, you might be thinking that's a board game, and it's built that way, but it's also a role-playing game. And actually, we learned last night, talking to Jacob, that uh, he, when he was designing the game, he originally was going to sell it as a role-playing game, but it, it decided to market it as a board game. So Booth 2055. What's that? Booth 2055. There you go. There you go. So we played that, and again, you sit down, you play one story from beginning to end, or like Starcross, which we're wearing the shirts, like mm-hmm. one story from beginning to end, and... So it's just a different experience. It's nice that way. We don't have to worry about having to carry that experience over. Russell, so I'm going to be the dissenting opinion here. Yes, yeah. and I think I might. I think I might run. I think I might run with you on yeah, this. Maybe, maybe uh, the um, the uh, uh, game that I am currently designing and hoping to kickstart soon actually uh, is sort of what I call sort of a, a 
It's not long form, but it's not short form. I'm calling it mid form. Uh, there's, yeah, I know. It's meant to run uh, about four to six sessions. Um, you know, so you're not really going to be able to complete it in, you know, in, in one sitting. Uh, but also, it's not meant to drag on and on. There's a clear endpoint. Um, thematically, there's a war going on. Your character is the one super soldier. Everything hinges on their victory. And, you know, there's sort of a, a clock ticking down through the whole thing. There is an endpoint. We know this is going to be over in so many hours of play. So we, we can sort of focus on that. And that's mm -hmm. how we kind of have that, that you know, that mid-length uh, uh, structure. And so what I think kind of bridges both of those ideas is the idea that like and something that i've learned playing two-player games a lot is goal posting is important like to your point to both of your points i think have being specific about this is the story that we're telling and you know a lot of role-playing games have the sort of play to find out uh ideology of like we're not going to know how it's going to end but i think for a two-player game in order to kind of i think Focusing it a little bit and saying, this is the story that we're telling. This is where it's going to start. And while it may change, this is probably where it's going to end. Like, this is kind of the road that we're driving. And this is kind of the segue I want to throw it over to Ben and Mel is, I think this is equally important in games where you're kind of sharing that, that GMing or sharing that world, sharing that responsibility, sort of GMless kind of two-player storytelling is saying, okay, we have to kind of be on the same page about, like, the story that we're telling or else you might end up in a position where you're like, I think this is the end. And the other person might say, like, no, I've got 47 more pages of stuff to work through. <laughs> I've been on both sides of that equation. Neither side is great. <laughs> so why don't, so if you could talk, why don't you talk to us about the kind of experience of playing that sort of GM list of, of games that are designed for two people, which I think you've played a lot of on Pot of Love. What's the experience like of kind of sharing that that role and playing that storytelling game without sort of a clearly defined arbiter or rules person? Well, uh, the first time we played Starcross on our podcast, we probably edited out... <laughs> At least half of it when we were like, oh. Shh, they can't know that we edit these things. <laughs> yeah. Well, we made the mistake of not having played it before we played. That was our first time playing it. But so. that's you, not my point. My point is. <laughs> does everyone know what Starcross is? Oh, you want to say what Starcross is? Starcross is a really fun game for two people where you build a shared experience around two characters and why they can't be together. It is played with a tumbling wood tower, which is a Tango. toy that uses a collection of wooden block towers. We can't say the name of which because that is a copyrighted term. Well, yeah. on our show, we call it Tenga. Tenga's good. Tenga's a good name. Yeah. And every time you uh, touch the person who you want to be with but can't be, um, you pull from the tower. Every time you uh, reveal something personal about yourself, you do the same. And so tension builds as the game goes on, and it becomes a totem of that romantic tension. And then if it falls, you give in to your love, and then you have an epilogue that tells what happens to your characters. And it's a beautiful game. Which is really genius, because we interviewed Alex Roberts a, a while ago. Um, and, you know, I just kept saying, like, it's so smart that you use these tumbly blocks for your game because the tension is like palpable as it probably would be in real life with these two people who are like 
drawn to each other but know they can't be together and having these interactions. Every time you speak to the other person, you have to speak with your hand on the tower, regardless of whether you've just built it or you've pulled half of the blocks out already. You know, like when you got like the one block that's just teetering on, Ben loves to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you were saying, so you were using Starcross as an example for playing with two people. Yeah. Uh, Well, I think there's like, there's this intimacy in the experience of any time we've played uh, a two-player RPG that uh, where we're both, um, especially when you're like, there's no GM and you're sharing this uh, game experience and the intimacy is there, whether it's, you know, we play romance RPGs, but I've played other um, uh, game like uh, played non-romance genre with that. And there's always a degree of intimacy because you have to really sort of, play off of each other, um, do a lot of reading of the mm-hmm. other, um, mm-hmm. and build on each other, be, create space for the other, as, uh, for each other as you're playing, and then you sort of, I think, coalesce together mm-hmm. in that sort of shared space. And that requires trust and requires that willingness to be intimate or to, or to maybe hold back some of that intimacy for safety's sake. Um, and also, I think it takes safety tools. Mm-hmm. Uh, it takes yeah. agreeing beforehand about how, how are we going to enter into the space together what are the safety tools we're going to use? Like, for example, the X card okay. um, to say, no, I don't, I don't want to go down that road or I, I don't want to do that thing. Um, and using those safety tools to protect yourself. But you really have to enter into that sort of shared space together. And it's just a different way, a much more intimate way of playing than anything else I've experienced. I don't want to take us down a rabbit hole, but I do want to make sure that I mention, like, I think it's because of this, because of the shared experiences and the stories that we're creating together that that bring us closer together, that there's so much work to be done around, uh, and it's being done right now by some wonderful people, but so much work to be done around and with games as therapy, mm-hmm. games mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. team building, games as whatever kind of, you know, social tool you choose to use them for, um, but... You know, when we were talking to Jacob Jaskov last night, he told us that he worked on a project where they built a game that was played in Danish schools. And the game took a week to play. And it was like crime scene investigation where kids were learning, high school kids were learning to do chemistry and, and uh, you know, to solve these crimes as well as, uh, what else did he say? I'm this, this is the panel now. Sorry, I'm fascinated. This is, everybody, everybody, if, they, if you don't want to have the topic shift, you may leave now. But <laughs> no, well, I'm point, kidding. Please, please, please do that. not. Please do not leave right now. <laughs> the point of that, though, like I said, I don't want to go down a huge rabbit hole, maybe like a tiny one. But the point of that is just that there's so much you can do with games mm-hmm. that you, we don't immediately think of. And it's so powerful to tell these stories that reflect real people's experiences. Yeah. Like we were talking to uh, Nikki Valens yesterday about work she's doing for the expansion, for another expansion, for Pod of Love. Love. That's our podcast, Pod of Love. <laughs> I always do that. Fog of Love, where uh, it's really important for her to tell stories that reflect her own experience, but not just her own experience, other people's experiences too. And I think that's what really makes a game meaningful mm-hmm. for us is when like – you know, sometimes things can hit too close to home, but when you can relate to the story that the game is telling, you become really invested in it. And I think there's a point that I think is really important to bring up about like intimacy in a two-player game environment, which is like if you think about games as a conversation, I want you to take a moment and think about like the conversations that you have where it is you and I keep almost hitting the the off button so if i just suddenly stop talking and my mouth is moving please someone just wave a hand at me um i want you to think about like the conversations that you have for an extended period with one other person 
because there's not a ton of them that we have and they're generally like the you know you're generally on a date or at a job interview or talking with a manager and it, like they are very like intense conversations and i think a certain level of that like intimacy and that intensity like comes into the two player role playing experience because a we're doing a vulnerable thing together but b it is just socially like experientially speaking an intimately charged moment because you know we rarely in our society have conversations with one other person especially that last for an hour to two hours to however long an average like role-playing game would run so i realized a while ago it dawned on me like the familiarity i sense with running with playing two-player rpgs and what it was familiar to i realized like it feels so much like the pastoral care that I gave in my career. Mm-hmm. Like it's so similar to the pastoral, like that pastoral care setting where I'm like one-on-one with someone talking very intimately for a period of time. And some of the, the dynamics are just so similar between those two, creating space for each other, um, that kind of active listening where you're listening and then not just waiting to speak, but playing off mm-hmm. the other mm-hmm. and those sort of skills. And I realize they're the same skills that mm-hmm. I use in two-player RPGs. It's amazing. So uh, I, I want to set aside some time for questions, and I have, like, a few more questions that I want to kind of get the whole group's opinion on. So I think what we'll do is I have two sort of big questions that I'd like to kind of just run down the table and sort of get your thoughts on. And that is, the first one is, like, what is your favorite thing? And I'll start, like, about playing. Actually, why don't we go the other way? Because that way I can go last. <laughs> uh, what's, what is your favorite thing about playing a game with one other person? Whether it is a GM-less game, a GM'd game, a, a traditional D&D dungeon crawler, a romance game. What is your favorite thing about the, the experience of playing with one other person? I think for me, you know, playing specifically with Ben is important because it's a space we created for, like, to have time together. Like, we have three younger children. Um, we both work full-time jobs. And, like, there's a lot going on. But, you know, we know that once every so often <laughs> we're going to sit down and have time together to play games, which is something that we love to do. Um, and so through this, and I think that the thing that I think is so special for me is we become closer every time, even though we're not playing Ben and Mel and we're making decisions that wouldn't necessarily reflect Ben and Mel. We have awesome conversations afterwards about the characters and, and frequently like ourselves and how we feel and what things, what choices we make reflect what like aspects of ourselves are underlying so for me it's definitely the the relationship building Mm -hmm. i found that it's like really wonderful relationship building that goes on whether it's us building our relationship by playing those games um but also like that's how i i I played with jeff twice in like a week and that's how i got to know jeff he was great uh, (laughs) playing games and um other people have gotten to play uh one-on-one games with it it's just like builds relationship in a different way because it's just the two of you playing and having fun together. And then you walk away with an experience that's yours, just the two of you. And not, not to cut you off, but we also played with Jack and Diana. Well, they played with yeah. yeah. And I, it just strengthens the relationship. And, and yeah, briefly, like the idea that like, and it's, you know, if you think about your favorite gaming moments, like you're like, oh, that was cool. Then you and your group of friends have this tiny little inside thing. You have a tiny little thing when you walk away from that that you share with one other person. Yeah. That you're like, this is a thing that you and I went through and, like, experienced together. And that's kind of an amazing, beautiful thing. So, go ahead. Um, so, sorry, guys, I'm walking away from the relationship part of it. Um, but, so, just 
fight. So I am a counselor for during the day. And at night, I like to take control of my game. I like mm-hmm. to do the things mm-hmm. I want to do. I want to do them, and I don't want to compromise. And I really, especially for our game, because it's a GM, because it's a player, I get to just do them. I, I don't have to compromise on the things that I want to do. If I want to stab someone, I get to just stab someone, and I don't have to talk about it. I get to roll the dice and see what happens. It's great. I know, and it doesn't always work out for me, but I do try it. And I just, it's nice to, it's nice to sometimes take control back Mm -hmm. when you don't always feel like you have control in your life. Sure. Getting real meta there, but you know. No, I think it's, I think it's a great point. I think that's, that's spectacular. And yeah, it is, you know, you are the star of the show. And that is like having been in the player's chair and been in the GM's chair, it's a cool moment to be like, yeah, I'm the most important. Everything else is set dressing. I am what I am like the most important thing is like a cool feeling. Like it's amazing. Uh, even though Diana just said that her favorite part is the not compromise, I'm going to say my favorite part is the compromise. Um, <laughs> Ooh, drama. I, I think, I think we've all had that like big group game where we've walked away and been like, man, uh, Dave just was not on his game last night. Like he, he just wasn't like in the right headspace. He, he wasn't telling a good story. Um, the thing I love about two player RPGs is it's so easy to like, just like lean back in your chair and say, I actually, I don't know. I don't know if I like where the story's going. Like, what do you think? Do, is there a different way we could take this? Uh, what would be most interesting to you? It's very easy in a two player RPG to have a conversation that allows everybody to be on the same page with their story and to make that story really sing. Um, I have had, I've never had a two-player RPG session go uh, feel unfulfilling in a way that I felt like I couldn't have controlled it. Or not necessarily controlled it, but worked on it. Um, Whereas I've had lots of big group games where I've walked away and just been like, man, that sucked and it was everyone else's fault and I couldn't control it. Um, But but the important thing was that you were like, oh, I was on my game. I was telling a great story. Everybody else. I was a delight. Um, But yeah, being able to compromise on those things is is a great part of two player RPG. The communication to make a story is fantastic. Not to, I'm sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but I think that goes back to that intimacy and that trust mm-hmm. that people have. Yeah, a lot of my thoughts sort of will echo what uh, what, else, what has already been said. Uh, so I'm going to answer and then I'm going to sneakily subvert. Um, I mean, the experience where I've had where I'm, I'm at the table, I often find that I I don't play games to to. This is also carries over to board games. I don't play to win. I don't play to lead. I play kingmaker because it's easier. Because I sit down at the table and there are a lot of huge personalities around mm-hmm. me. And, you know, I can tell you all kinds of great stories of these wonderful ideas of mine that no one wanted to listen to or like, you know, my big moment being swiped by someone else. And, you know, that's dispiriting. I do it anyway. I just kind of know that that's how I play. I play to be second banana because, you know, I don't have the personality to stomp on other people. Uh, but to subvert the, uh, the idea um, is to sort of talk about this. My favorite part of designing a uh, one-player, one-GM one game is that I've got a lot more uh, control over the balance, over what's going mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. When I originally looked yeah. at Project Wingspan, it was a team of super soldiers who were going to save their, you know, their, their tiny little country from being rolled over by the enemy army. And I had such a difficult time with the mechanics. I couldn't get the numbers to balance. I couldn't get the drama to flow the right way. I couldn't get the feature scenes. I was reading all these Japanese RPGs because they liked having these ensemble things of feature scenes. None of it really clicked for me. 
But as soon as I heard that, hey, you know, somebody ran your other game one-to-one -one and it worked out okay, yeah, I said to myself, maybe that's the answer. Maybe that's where the balance can be found. And sure enough, once I said, okay, this is one person, everything that happens in this war hinges on their die rolls, mm -hmm. and suddenly it all just fell into place. The mechanics made perfect sense. The structure made sense. The pacing made sense. It gave me, um, it gave me a chance to really focus all these ideas around a, a core of mechanics instead of having to sort of spread them out to see, well, what can you do? What can you do? What can you do? You know, I was able mm -hmm. to just tie it all together into one, uh, one, you know, one person, one idea, one. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm very delighted that this was not already taken. They're real easy to schedule is the thing. <laughs> like, cause you know what's not great? Scheduling with six adults. Yeah. We have jobs and families, and you know what? It's great. It's satisfying. Not great for role-playing games. <laughs> but, like, if I'm scheduling with one person, like, I can be like, when are you free? When do you have an hour? You know, because the average game takes for me takes about an hour. When do you have an hour? You got an hour free? You got, a, you got an extended lunch break? You got some time on the weekend before your weekend starts? And then I have done, like, a cool, creative, magical thing. And I can also just, like, have my day back. Like, that's the other thing that's really great, just on a, like, practical level, is I can then go do other things. Like, I can be like, cool, I played a role-playing game, like, I shared a really magical story, now I can go to a wrestling show. <laughs> How cool is that? Like, whereas if it's otherwise, it's like, okay, cool, that's my Sunday. There's a magic to, like, playing with one person that I think just on a tangible, practical level is just kind of easy and pleasant and nice, and I love it. So now the other kind of big question, because I want I want to ask one more big question, have some time for audience questions, and then plugs at the end. Uh, the other question, and I'll start this one, and we'll go the other kind of other way down, is if there was one piece of advice, one thing that is challenging, one thing that is to look out for when playing a two-player game, we've kind of largely touched on them. If you have anything else, uh, what would it be? I think the one that I would probably touch on is, actually now I need a minute to think about it. You guys got started. Now you got, it's your turn now because I'm, I'm, I'm going to need some time to think it over. Can you say that, would you? Oh yeah. If there's one thing to look out for, one thing that is challenging that we maybe haven't touched on yet, what would you think it would be? Or maybe a piece of advice for someone that, that wants to sit down after this panel and play a two player game. Uh, so we did touch on it already, but I think it's important to reiterate like the safety mechanisms because mm -hmm. a lot of times, especially if you're playing a one to one, you can hit real close to home. Like there have been times that Ben and I have been playing and, you know, I'm like, well, hang on, like this is too much right now. And like either like we need to take a break and come back or like we need to change the storyline or the topic or whatever entirely. Um, and just knowing that your partner, whatever kind of partner you're playing with, whether that's your husband, your wife, your best friend, your sister, your brother, your mom, your dad, your neighbor, your cousin, whoever, whoever you're playing with, knowing that you can do that with them and that is a mechanism in the game is comforting in and of itself, even if you never get to that part, to that point. Yeah, I mean, and similarly, I, I was thinking that listening, you know, mm -hmm. I think listening would be my thing, both as a caution and uh, as an advice um, to really, like, learn how to listen. And I think that we all, I think everybody has a story that they want to be heard, and I think everyone's kind of afraid that no one's going to hear their story. And I think that comes out a lot in RPGs, especially when you're playing two people. 
And I think there's like a danger that when you're playing in that kind of an intimate space, that one person may roll over the other person or um, and, and in so rolling over the other person hurt them in that space. So I think that learning to like really actively listen, so really genuinely making space for the other person, allowing them to express. And then like kind of we've already said, sacrificing some of your, one of the things that I've constantly come back to is having to like, I, I thought maybe we would do something. I thought maybe a game would go a certain direction or something would happen. It's not going the way I want because it's going the way the other person wants, and like that's okay. And then like, and then like, wow, what a what an most what an amazing game it ended up being because I gave up what I wanted and allowed this other person to. So listening to each other, that's mine. So mine is not nearly as deep. Um, you guys are so deep, and I'm over here talking about stabbing people. Um, but <laughs> there's is there, there's room for there's it's room for everything. It's one. It's people, a people it's, absolutely need to be stabbed 100. percent But <laughs> you can stab, you stab them deep. That is a good that is good advice. It is, it is okay. No, I'm not going on the record saying I'm telling you. Okay, that's not the point. Backing track. Backing track. Um, so one of the challenges is that they're just like physically harder to find. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, it's harder to find a two player. RPG, either two player where you're both playing as a player or two yep. player where one's the, G- the GM and you're the player. It's just harder to find. They exist and they're awesome, but they're harder to find. So just taking the time to look for them, find like even knowing where to look for them. It just, that is a challenge in and of itself. I really wish there was a better way to look for role playing games in general, but specifically like two player games online, there's just not like a good You know what my solution is listen to your podcast. Just, yeah. through the, just look through the Did catalog. Jeff pay you? No, just look through the catalog of all the games he's played and you're like, oh I could do this as two player, I could do this as two player, I could do this as two player. Can I pay you? Because I feel like this is if this is free, can I pay you? If yeah, he says I'll no, I'll take it. All right, great, done. <laughs> There's like a how many episodes worth of games you've played, basically 160 something or something, 70, something like too that. Too many. Of, of games. So, yeah. So, if you want to look for an option, I think that's a good, that's what I do. I look, mm-hmm. I look there. Put Jeff Stormer to work for you. <laughs> I feel like we need Hashtag a game now. <laughs> there, there is a great list of two player RPGs out there online that I have bookmarked and uh, can't find at the moment. So, I'll try to tweet that out as soon as I is can. Is that the Make Big Things list? It might be. Um, I found it a long time ago. Because I know there is a list on the Make Big Things website. There are games co-op. They made 14 Days in Questlandia. They have a list of two-player games on their site, and I think there may be one or two others floating around. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, the Make Big Things list. Check that out. Um, Wait, what was the question again? No, that's yours. You're done now. The question Um, was, like, if you had a piece of advice, a challenging thing, something to look out for. I would like to reiterate um, that uh, go in thinking very clearly about the type of story that you mm-hmm. want to tell. Yep. Uh, genre is very important in all RPGs, but I find especially important in two-player RPGs. Mm-hmm. Think about the story you want to tell. Think about why it is a one-person story and not an ensemble story. Um, don't try to tell an ensemble story with just one player. Try to tell a story about one character and why they are important. Um, and uh, like with with clear goals in mind, a clear arc... Uh, read short stories, think short story. Mm-hmm. And I don't just, I don't mean that to say do one session. I mean, think in short A form. clear end point, I yes. think is a valuable thing. Yeah. I, think I have my, I have mine now. I'm going to let Russell go. I just want everybody to know I have mine now. So my, my <laughs> master plan worked. <laughs> don't lose it. I was going to say, yeah, maybe I'll steal your idea now. I don't know. It's fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
I already touched on the sort of the intensity of things. Uh, you know, uh, that friend of mine, uh, we, we weren't dating each other. We were dating other people, which led to a lot of weirdness with the amount of time we were spending together and the intensity of the emotions of our time spent together. So, you know, watch out for that. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but, um, I think one of the things is the, the need for buy-in, the need for commitment. You've got to have that first and up front. You know, I can cruise along as the cleric in the party because, eh, I don't know, they're only going to talk to me once every 20 minutes. But if you're going to sit down... Heal me! Okay. <laughs> That's it. I'm going to go back to reading over here and sketching things. Okay. Mm-hmm. But um, the, um, you know, you've got to have that buy-in from the get-go. You've both got to be uh, committed to it. A lot of these games are short form, so you can just sort of say, oh, how do I feel about this? Let's find my way through it. But as soon as you want to get into something a little more serious, you know, you can't have one person over there just like, okay, yeah, so I'm a trucker in space. That doesn't sound like a premise I'm interested in. Like, you've, 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 got, to, you've got to both love what mm-hmm. you're getting into from the get-go, because there's nowhere else to put the attention. Yeah. There's no one to palm the idea off on if you're like, oh, you know, someone else will do it. No, it's you got to you got to love the idea. Both of you, make sure you love the idea as soon as you as soon as you you start to dig into it. So I think that the advice that I would give, and it's very big advice, is kind of specifically, you know, how every role-playing game includes a section that's like the rules don't really matter as long as you're having fun. That's what's important. The trick is they're not wrong. And like you can act not right either. They're not entirely right either. That is correct. Rules exist for a reason. Um, but you can like really like seriously overhaul games to like make an experience that you want. You are not necessarily, you know, and it requires a level of like learning the game, reading the rules, understanding it. But if you are looking at like a three plus player game and going like, I want to play this with one person. You're not bound by the fact that that game has a GM role. Like, you can experiment with, like, what happens if we were to try and share this GMing responsibility? You're not bound by the fact that, like, the game expects combat to play out a certain way. You can say, what if we instead tried it this way? And, like, part of that is making a, you know, you can argue part of that is, like, making a new game and making your own game. But, like, you can, you can take a game and say, okay, there's, you can play a game straight with, with one person, but you can also look at a game and go, okay, this is the story that we're telling. Now, and this is how the rules enforce that story. Now, what if we were to come at the story from a different angle? How do we take those rules and hack them? And I think that is a kind of freeing mindset is you're not, you're not, you know, to look at a game and say, this is the starting point. And here's how we're going to make it sing with two people and not just play with two people, I think is a, a powerful mindset to go into a game with. Okay, I'll allow for that. That's fine. Yeah. Okay, good. It's my, been allowed. It's on the record. My greatest hypocrisy is that in the middle, in the same Heart Points episode, I will talk about how important it is to follow the rules and, and play by the rules. Otherwise, why are you even playing? And then just be like, uh, I think that might be a wizard move. Uh, you can use it. That's fine. Just do it. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that's that's sort of the the magic of, of like, you know, your game is your game. Like the the game designer, very, very rare cases aside, the game designer's not gonna be in the room looking at you. Unless you're at Metatopia, which is a great convention, but oftentimes will involve a game designer sitting in a room going, That's not how the rule works. And it's that's play test feedback. It's part of that intimacy. Yeah. Well, plus we're all part wizard anyway. Everyone. We're all, we are yeah. technically. 
I mean, I'm, I'm going to just throw in a little tangent here. That, you know, the whole idea being that, you know, when you do approach a game and someone has, you know, put those those rules in there, you know, go ahead and change them if you want, but assess why. Yeah, understand you know? why they're understand yeah. why they're there and what you're changing in the game, especially when it's something that's like controlling the connection between characters and things like that. You know, the the commitment, like like a lot of those romance games, very intense games have built in like safety mechanisms uh-huh. and things like that and so on. And if you just like forego like, oh, let's skip the cooldown phase in the rules, you know? You might that, end up with yeah, a different game altogether. You end up with all kinds of like, you know, emotional bleed and things mm-hmm. like that, you know? So, you know, if you do want to, if you do want to change something, sure, change it, but but know why you're changing it. Yeah, I, I would say that like if you, if, if you want to change a game and you find you are changing it very significantly, also like look and see if maybe the game you're actually looking for is out there. Because mm-hmm. sometimes you're trying to get a game to tell a story it wasn't designed to tell, but there are other games out there that are designed to tell that story. Yes. And so, you know, it does take a little work to like do homework to find them, but. I would describe it as a bit like, uh, like if you were mod- like heavily modifying a car, such as for illegal street racing. You live your life a quarter mile at a time, everybody. Um, you know, you understand why you're taking a part out of the car and if it's going to end up without brakes. Like understanding, you know, you're not going to cut the brake lines out of a car and go, let's just see what happens. You take the time to go, let's figure out if brakes are important to a car first. Are they? I don't know, probably. I think so. I, I, uh, everyone seems, seems to be talking about what they do during the day, and during the day I am a school principal, um, so I always tell kids, in order to break the rules, you need to follow them first. So yeah, that's kind of, I think those are really good points. So we have about 10 minutes left. Let's open it up to some questions, if anybody has any. Um, let's go with you on the side there, right there first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hi, Kevin. We can oh. bring you a mic. We've got a, we've got wireless mics. I'm I'm gonna pretend I'm an official. It's the 21st century. Crazy. Oh, this way they also get their questions on the recording. This is great. Yeah. No pressure. Okay. Hi. Oh, God. <laughs> For the record, again, my name is Kevin. Um, so my wife and I are working um, sort of off and on on. I don't even know how to describe it other than it's an RPG, and it's not necessarily for two players, but um, by its nature it needs to be GM-less, mm-hmm. but a story still needs to be uh, told, and the story isn't really the point of the whole thing, it's more how the players react to it, mm-hmm. but that story still needs to be there to be reacted to, and the world needs to do things to you, and it's really, you need to feel like you're just kind of out there in the real world and, and doing things. Um, so I was just and we're really having a hard time figuring out how to do that without a GM. So I was just wondering if you had maybe any suggestions for things that you you know have worked in the past or maybe mm-hmm. games that have done this successfully because uh, I'm still kind of new to the whole making RPG thing. Hmm. Yeah, have you played games like, I'm trying to think of GMO's games we play all the time. Like, Have you, play, have you played games like uh, Ten Candles or uh, Downfall games? that Downfall is three people and is GMless. It's a good example. Play those games, see what you like in them maybe, what works. Although I just realized Ten Candles does have a GM. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Downfall is a good example of one that doesn't, uh, and all three of you share that role. I do want to pass this off to the game designers, but I uh, mentioned as somebody was walking in, a uh, bloody-handed name of bronze yeah. is a sword and sorcery game that is GMless for two to four players, and uh, I would recommend checking that out. Yeah, there's a lot of games specific. There's a lot of games that have very specific kind of like this is the story, 
this is what is happening and now play out like what happens after that. I think even like even fiasco has elements of that where it's like you're going to tell out a scene. This is what that scene is going to be about. Like this is what is happening. So like if it maybe it's as simple as like creating a like this is what is happening and like having a, a, a the rule book or the game's rules be instructive of like first now is the time in the scene when X happens mm-hmm. and then like and then a, when this is happening react to it. And then you kind of build out a game that kind of like foregrounds that experience. Yeah, it's it really means sort of building more mechanism, honestly. Uh, when you have something that is GMless, it needs to have very strong structure. Um, you're emulating, you know, it's the stuff you do with a video game. You know, you sit down and the machine is crunching numbers for you and making rules work for you. So if you're going to be designing it yourself and you have, uh, you want the thing to sort of be able to turn over on its own, you've got to be able to, you've got to be willing to take the time to mechanize some parts of it so that it will run without you needing to step in. Um, there is a new game that's kickstarting right now, I think, or something that Ember Wild, Ember Wind. I, no, sorry, shoot. it's gone out of my head. But um, it's not GMless, but the monsters are fully automated. You know, when a monster attacks, you roll a die and it tells you all the actions they take, you know, they, they, that's they take. Um, so it could be played without a GM just by having the dice guide the actions of whatever. So, I mean, that might be part of it. You know, you build scenarios that are specific. You build rules that sort of will run on their own. Um, you know, I, I made my... I'm taking up too much time. I made my game so that whenever the player rolls dice, that affects everything. Those mm-hmm. effects just, you know, trickle down the line. They affect their moment in the fight. They affect the the amount of, of energy left for the fight to continue. And then that goes back home. Did they win the battle? You know, did, did they do well in this fight? You know, how do people feel about that back home? You know, it, when they when they come back to town, is everybody like, yay, we're going to win the war? Is everybody like, well, we might as well surrender now? All of it hinges off of that one die roll. And it all just, you know, just, uh, uh, just ripples out from there. Cool. Uh, let's go over there on the side. Hi. Ooh. You already got a free badge, Russell. What do you want to do? All right. <laughs> okay. So me and my playgroup, our big uh, RPG is D&D 5th edition. Sure. So our DM is a bit of a character addict in that he just makes way too many characters. But because he's the DM, never get a chance to use them. So I think this is a good idea system. But my question is, is how do you, is there an easy way to modify a party system into one-on-one? Is it better for the player to have one character, maybe focus one character, but also have a party that he controls, or let them have multiple characters? What's the easiest way to do it? Uh, so in uh, in our long-form Dungeon World game, uh, we w- use a supplement called the Perilous Wilds, uh, which uses uh, command, w- which lays out command moves for NPCs. So Diana has accrued essentially a party of NPCs that she that we have now given basic very very bare bone stats to that she gives orders to and they don't they have an instinct laid out so they will do some things automatically but essentially unless she orders them to do it or gives me a good reason why they would have done it anyway um they're not they they're just background characters they are not trying to steal the show they're trying to support diana um or diana's character console sound um does 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 that help at all so more or less have, let them have 
So more or less let them have the party, but they are only role-playing one character. Right? Yes. The, so, the, other, the other approach that I would throw out is thinking about, um, not that it did well or was a particularly good movie, but if you think about the movie Solo, I think is the other kind of way. It's less of a mechanical thing and more of a storytelling thing. Solo isn't a movie about Han Solo blowing up a Death Star. Solo is a crime movie, or actually a better example because they're better movies. The Avengers is a, is a T, is a D&D party movie. It is five people with different backstories coming together to fight a common threat. Captain America the Winter Soldier is a 70s conspiracy thriller. And like, it's not necessarily mechanically different. It's still a superhero game. It's still a character. It's still the same character with the same capabilities. But the storytelling says, okay, if it's, if you're the only one here, then it's less taking the mechanics and changing it and more saying, I'm going to put challenges in front of you that are specifically related to your character's thing. And so I think the the broader answer, so I, I kind of fall on the have one character and tell a story with them that you couldn't tell with. If, if Thor is hanging around yeah. in The Winter Soldier, it changes the entire movie. So they tell a story they couldn't tell and sort of let the mechanics kind of guide that story in its own way. And I and I do tend to agree. And I think that's part of knowing what story you want to tell. But if you make the mistake like I did and and just put a character in a world and the world is too big for one character, I think uh, thinking of it in terms of like um, the one player is Britney Spears and the other are her backup dancers. Um, yep, yep. She is Gandalf and everybody else are the people following Gandalf's yep. orders. I don't. Can we, I didn't can we get Britney Spears to play Gandalf though? Like, um, that would be great. It's <laughs> no remake. Yeah, uh, I think we have time for like one, two short questions or one longer one. Let's go with these two right here. Um, my name is Will. I had a different question, but I'm going to ask a shorter one, which is just: uh, so, are we expecting Diana to GM the second season of <laughs> Hard Points? <laughs> Yes. That's yeah. that's what I'm looking forward to. Um, well, now, so. And there's applause and clapping. This is a this is a binding contract. No, all right. Next oh, no, here's the thing. Not all of you applauded, so it's not happening. So I'm sorry. <laughs> this was you. That was on you. You are right, directly into that. Time for one more question. <laughs> Hi, I'm Matt. Um, so, uh, other than Starcrossed, which uses 10th letter Inga as a, a resolution mechanic, um, so like D&D... Also a good name. You roll a D20, you hope for high numbers. Are there other um, uh, resolution mechanics, like core game mechanics, that work especially well for, for the one-player, one-DM system? Or really poorly, I guess, the other question. Uh, uh, this is where I get to go on a real quick rant, which is the D&D is especially badly suited for one-on-one play. Like, because it is so, spe- at least as as the additions have gone on, they have so specifically mechanically refined it to be that every player is contributing to actions. So, like, when you get into higher level play, they're saying that an average fight takes an average of one quarter of your resources. But for, for like a 10th level monster, that means one of your players will die in a fight. They expect this. They have built it into the rules because they know that a player is going to have the ability to raise someone from the dead. So it is, they have mechanically built it to not make it work with one player. That is my rant about it. That My answer to that is Dungeons and Dragons is real bad at it. As for one thing that's real good at it, I need a moment to think. <laughs> I, I would love s- is really good at it. Fog of Love is a card and board podcast. game that's very good. And that is all the time that we have. Oh, oh, oh real quick. PBTA. 
Powered by the Apocalypse oh, works really well with it, yes. Yeah. Thank you all so much for coming. Um, we're going to be hanging around, maybe, so you can chat with us, get Twitter handles, business cards, all that kind of stuff. I really appreciate it. You have made my packs unplugged. Thank you and good night. Thank you. Bye. I just picked up.